to Beyond X's and O's podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Petralis, and we are really excited for our second guest on our podcast. Um, this person is um, was coach of the year uh, last year in Division 8 in 2019. He's the head coach of Kip Academy High School. Ladies and gentlemen, Jimmy Rabbit. Hey, Anthony. It's, uh, it's awesome to be here. Uh, I was telling you before, it's, uh, it's an, an enviable task uh, following the, the great uh, Serge Clovio, but uh, I'm really proud of you. This is uh, this is an awesome avenue for I think you know, so many coaches, young, uh, new coaches, and uh, veteran coaches to just get a glimpse of uh, of what coaching is like. And I just even in that first episode alone uh, learned so much just from from that you know 45 minutes of surge. So I think what you're doing is great, and I'm real proud of you. I'm happy to be. Yeah, here. I appreciate that. Thank you. I know, and Serge is a tough guy to follow, but. Uh, there, there's no other person to, to follow him but you, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, what a lot of people don't know is, yes, he was Division, uh, you know, eight coach of the year last year, but he also, um, three years ago, started the football program at Kip Academy. There was no football program in existence when he came over to that school and became a teacher. And to me, I just think it's absolutely amazing of within a three-year window, he has grown so much as his career, but I think it's an amazing story that he has to tell about how he built a program from scratch. And, you know, I, I'm curious on where, where do you begin to even start a task like that of creating a football program from scratch? Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny, you know, looking back at it uh, uh, three years later and uh, all the, uh, the things that went into it, uh, you kind of get lost on you until you kind of reflect back. Um, and uh, one of the first things that, that happened in my interview at Kip was uh, the principal at the time, uh, talked to me about how Kip wanted football, but kids have been asking for football and it just hadn't happened in the, in the few years. Um, and that was like one of the selling points for me to come over and teach there was like, I have an opportunity to help spearhead that. Yeah. And uh, jumping right in with our athletic director, Anthony Grimaldi is fantastic. He's one of the best young ADs, I think in the state, if not ADs in general in the state. Um, and wow. you know, we were told many times uh, by certain people, that it can't be done. You can't set a football team at Kip. It's not going to work. And sort of our task was like to prove everyone wrong. Um, and uh, getting kids and families invested in, in the process was really important. We had kids sign petitions um, right off the bat and showed numbers. And we had upwards of 80 kids, uh, you know, signing up for football, saying they were interested in football. That's and, great. And, 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 and a school administrator, once, once they see that, it's very hard to say no to getting the ball rolling. Uh, when so many kids are in a school of 450, um, you know, so many kids are interested to, to say no to that. So, um, you know, we went through the process. We uh, talked to the MIA many times. Um, luckily for us, we, we knew a few coaches. I knew a few coaches uh, in the Commonwealth Small, um, and uh, Al Costable was, was fantastic. Uh, I talked to him. and Great guy, great coach. Great, great coach. Uh, I'm sure someone will be on this show at some point. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and he really pushed uh, in the CAC meeting, even before we were MIA approved, uh, to, to get us in a league. And that really helped us in the MIA portion was having a league already established. Right, having a home, yeah. And uh, we were able to push that. And uh, like I said, our admins were great. Our principal, our director of schools, really supportive um, of, the, of the task. And uh, they made it work for us uh, financially because you can imagine the, and I don't even know the, the entire financial you know, situation <laughs> of starting a football team. Or do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> they kept that away from me, I think, on, on purpose, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, after that, the process, uh, talking to MIA back and forth, and, and uh, it took us about six months um, of back and forth, you know, paperwork and having certain uh, higher ups in the, in the school, in the district to sign things. We 
we had an official, we announced it to the kids at a pep rally. It was a surprise. And uh, that's kind of how we started uh, that program. Yes. I mean, that's just, it's amazing, you know, and I, and I think the fact of just like the hard work that goes into that, and that's not even including the actual game of football. So just getting approved to be in a league and getting approved by the MIAA is a tall task in itself. So now you get the green light. What do you do next? I mean, obviously there's a zillion more things you still have to do. So how do you go about attacking it? Yeah, we didn't have a full uh, preseason um, that year. By the time we got the notice and by the time um, we were fully approved by the school, um, we were probably talking middle of March, April. So we didn't have a full uh, typical offseason that most football teams would have, right, starting in potentially January, February, March, working for Right, right. Um, So the first thing we did, and I was lucky enough, and I know this is – I got lucky in this manner. I had four coaches in the building. Um, who had played college football and or had coaching experience. Um, so right off the bat, I was able to, uh, to hire a coaching staff um, of coaches that I knew from that year, um, that I trusted, that had uh, experience. Uh, one of my coaches was a defensive coordinator, is now the head coach at Gloucester. Uh, so we lost oh, wow. um, You know, So getting a coaching staff on board and then getting kids to buy into not just being, foot, being on the football team, mm-hmm. uh, but, but also now buying into what it means to, to play a varsity sport. Um, a varsity football as you know, is even different, more different than other varsity sports. Yeah. Uh, and that was the big challenge was trying to get uh, our players ready, um, you know, football IQ wise, um, because football was new for everyone uh, at this level and also physically um, getting them ready. Um, right. So that was our next task. Um, leadership, finding seniors who were in the building who had played football was uh, only had two players who had ever played football before uh, in the school. Um, you know, so, uh, that was a daunting task to find leadership. Um, it was slow to begin with, certainly. Um, but once we found those players, got them in a groove of a couple workouts a week, um, we had about, like I said, 80 players and uh, we had to make some unfortunate cuts to players due to, you know, budget constraints and equipment. Um, but when all was said and done by August, we had about, we had 40 players, uh, looking to play varsity football that were committed as committed could be at that point. And that's great. I mean, that's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And you just told that, you know, in about two and a half, three minutes. And I'm sure that was just months and hours and hours and hours and hours of work. So um, you make it sound like it was so easy, but I, I know for you, it's and, and knowing the type of person that you are and, and just how you coach and how you are as a person to, you, you want it to be the best for the kids as possible. And, you know, and I think that's obviously something that Kip saw in you as well. So you mentioned, you know, getting these kids ready physically for the game of football. And you mentioned, in finding leadership how do you go about building a culture from scratch i mean you know the the successful programs out there their culture is amazing which in leadership councils and you know kids hanging out and really getting together and working out together so how do you go about building a culture in a brand new program i I think it's two-pronged um the first is um you know teach what you know um and coach what you know and I was lucky enough to have coached under Coach Clivio for, uh, for six years um, and watching him grow that football culture at Arlington Catholic even before, obviously, I got there knowing the success um, and knowing what kind of man he was, using what I learned from him um, for those years, um, but also sticking to my core beliefs and my core values because one of the things I guess I got lucky with, again, is I wasn't building, a, I wasn't changing a culture. I wasn't coming in to try to usurp a culture. I was coming in to create or help create a new culture. So in that way, I could literally start that from scratch with my vision, with the vision of the coaches and the vision of the school community. Um, And, uh, you know, I stuck to to, to those, to those guns as much as I could. 
uh, in the first year was very, very difficult, but, um, you know, just pre preaching to the kids, you know, dedication, sacrifice, uh, 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 you know, all the, all the, the cliches that you talk about in football that are real and mirror in life, um, we used in our first year of the program. Um, and I have to give credit, so much credit uh, to the kids in the program from year one um, who, who bought into that right away. Um, because mm -hmm. if, if, if there was no buy-in on whatever we were preaching, could be anything, if there's no buy-in, there may not be a program after year, after year one. Um, and our, our kids completely bought in um, to, you know, coming to practice, uh, to, to, to giving themselves up for the game, for giving to each other as teammates, as brothers, creating a brotherhood, creating a community with, you know, with cheering and with our team managers and the school itself and in the community. And those are the things that we built the program on. And, we, and, and that's the thing we, those are the things we pride ourselves on now. Um, and I think that's part of our success, you know, three years later is because we've kind of stuck to those values and because we've had that buy-in by our kids. Yeah. I mean, and that, and that's what it is, right? Sticking to your guns is it's hard that first year, you know, because you're trying to say, nope, this is what it is. And that's not necessarily what might be popular amongst your players and amongst the team, but you know, not sacrificing your morals and not sacrificing what you're trying to build as your culture is, it's so important. You know, you, you mentioned with Serge and, you know, the, the first year that I was at Island the Catholic, it was all about getting alumni back on board. It was all about making these kids work for it. It was all about, you know, being fair, but also making them understand that this is the way it is around here. And this is what we want. And this is what you want, you know, to build a culture. That's something that you said it mirrors life. It's outside of football a little bit. And that's, what you're trying to build at the end of the day. So I know you've done a great job with that. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing first year, obviously you're teaching the game of football from scratch. So, you know, you got your coaches on board, you had your, what you had of your off season, you get on the field day one, how are you beginning to implement offense and defense and teaching that, you know, from scratch? I think that was the most difficult part of the journey. Um, believe it or not, was that, that first week, that first week and a half of camp. I think was the was the most difficult because we we came in with really no baseline for what our our, our athletes knew, um, what they were physically capable of, right? Um, and um, that that week was when you talk about fundamentals and techniques and the basics of the game, you know most teams I'm sure you know oh of course you're always teaching fundamentals, but you really hone in on those first three or four days of non-padded practice on technique, on form, on uh, you know football IQ. It probably took us uh, you know six or seven weeks. Uh, to really hone in on that. And, you know, if you look at our film from, from, from year one, we were very, very basic as far as what we put in offensively, what we could put in defensively, because we were working on those basics, on those fundamentals, because I think without them, and, you know, I think if you, if you go beyond that, when a team's not ready, um, that's not going to be good now, and it's not going to be good for the future. Um, and it's a hard thing as a coach to do, because uh, for kids too, because you want to win, you want to put wrinkles in, you want to throw in more formations and, and more motions and alignments and, right. and throw in more blitzes on the, as you know, on defense, you want to throw some, some, some crazy blitzes in and, and things like that. And for us to slow down and it, it took a lot for us to kind of realize that to slow down and really hone in on, on fundamentals, on technique and on basic football IQ. Um, you know, we, we certainly took our licks in that first year because of it. But I think in the long run, that's what really helped us succeed was building that base of knowledge um, that, you know, we could have done in the off season, but we didn't have that off season. So we were kind of flying by the seat of our pants in season, yeah. close to the end. 
Right. You know, and, and as you know, anything that starts up is there, there's always its challenges and there's always there, you know, the, the things that go wrong that maybe you don't expect to. Um, so let's, let's kind of fast forward now. So you get through that season. I believe you were what three and seven, three and eight somewhere in that first year, three and seven, year one, mm-hmm. three and seven. So, you know, now you go into your first off season, kids have obviously now seen the program for a year your attack's going to be different because you didn't have that opportunity the first year to have a true off-season conditioning program. So how do you go about building that? And I ask you a lot of these questions because I just think for any coach out there in any sport in, in high school, it's important to, to hear what you're saying and that when you're trying to build something and build a program from the ground up, last week we heard from somebody who did it over a long period of time, you're starting it from scratch. It's a little different, right? So it's great that other coaches are hearing these types of things that you're saying. And I think it's just amazing what you've put together in, in a short span, but to hear what you did year one is incredible. So how do you go into that off season now that you have a season under your belt? And, and you know, Anthony, it certainly takes a village. And uh, like I said, without RAD, uh, Anthony Grimaldi, our coaches in, in the school community, I don't know, regardless of wins and losses, if that would have uh, transcended into, into year two and how that would have looked. Um, but uh, we had a very young team. Uh, we graduated a few seniors after year one. Um, we were very, very uh, rising sophomore heavy. Um, and probably about 25 of the, the 40 kids in the team were rising sophomores. Um, so still very, very young. And um, we hooked up with, um, with the Lynn Fitness Center. We didn't have a gym yet, uh, a fitness center of our own. And we hooked up with the YMCA and we hooked up with Lynn Fitness Center. Uh, and Coach Kenny over there is great. Um, and I would say 20-ish of our kids were dedicated to an off-season lifting program in year two, going into year two. Um, and we did some 6 a.m.s in the spring. Um, that took a little bit more of a push uh, than, the, uh, than the, the lifting, as you can imagine. Yeah, as well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for coaches and for, uh, for kids. Oh, yeah. It's uh, all around. And, uh, you know, we were able to at least have some off-season meetings in the classroom going over some X's and O's um, and getting some uh, football basics taken care of before camp. Um, so we had tremendous buy-in, I thought, for year two of a program. You know, we won our last two out of three games um, going into that uh, season. So I think that helped to build momentum and to, to build more investment into the program for the next year. Um, and like uh, those sophomores, um, rising sophomores who had just been freshmen, uh, really started, you could kind of see the seeds of a really special class, a really special, especially leadership. Um, and those seeds were kind of planted. And as coaches, we kind of looked at each other like, this could be something we could be onto something here if we can keep this group together. Um, and that's how we could kind of entered year two was with a, a, a somewhat of a lifting program, somewhat of an off season program, not the complete program yet. We hadn't gotten there yeah. yet, with some investment and some high turnover of returning players. And that's great. So I know, you know, year two, you kind of, you know, you jumped in the win column. I think you had four victories that year. So again, you're proving the product, right? You're starting this from scratch, even three wins in year one of, of doing the work that you had to do to put this program together. And then like you said, going out and just kind of really just trying to coach as hard as you can and give it all that you have with the with limited amount of time that you had or resources. What, but my question is, is now you made that jump into last year. And, you know, I got a firsthand look at you guys when we did um, some seven on sevens and, and, you know, we had a couple of conversations and I was like, man, you got something here. You know, you have, you have some weapons, you have some athletes, you have some tough kids. So, so 
the writing was kind of on the wall going into that year. I mean, as a coach, I'm sure in the back of your mind, this is the group that you've been watching now a couple of years in your program. What was really the big jump into year three? Because you guys, nine and three, you were a game away from, you know, going the Super Bowl, right? Um, in, in year three of the program. And then obviously, um, these, a lot of your team was, you know, there were a lot of juniors. You had a lot of juniors. And you had a lot of younger guys playing too. So you do have a team coming back. What was that big jump, Jimmy? Yeah, the, the big jump, and you mentioned it, like the athleticism, the athleticism was always there. Um, even from year one, we had spectacular athletes. Um, we had kids who really wanted to play. They were dedicated. Um, but the one thing that was sort of lacking, uh, as we said, was like the football IQ, the high school football IQ. Um, and now that built, right? So now after year two in the program, um, you know, running uh, our spread offense, um, going through our three, four defense and having two years in that system. And most of our kids at varsity level, we had seven or eight freshmen two years ago playing. So wow. now those kids are now rising juniors who have had two full years in the program. Right. They're starting to get it. They're starting to get it mentally. Um, and th- as you know, when you understand football, you can play a whole lot faster. You can play a whole lot tougher when the football IQ is there. Absolutely. So that, was, that was absolutely part one was our football IQ was, was exponentially better than it was in year one. And uh, again, our, our, our AD, uh, worked with Gronk Fitness, and we got a, a brand new uh, weight uh, room in our in our school. Yeah, our kids were cranking it out uh, in the preseason, going into into year three, um, and so just our overall fitness and strength was there, and our football IQ was there. And like I said, it made my job. And I maybe one day my kid, the kids will watch this and 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 realize like how much easier they made my job by buying in, by investing, um, and being the leaders that they were because we didn't have to force kids into the weight room. We didn't have to chase kids down the hall. Hey, get in the weight room. Yeah. After school, and there was 25 kids in there. And uh, that just, as a coach, made me proud because they had completely 100% bought it. And, uh, you know, into the mental part and now to the physical part. Um, And that's where we went into into our offseason coming into, into year three. And, you know, just a side thing from football, I mean, the, the, the value of you and the, the amount of like respect in that school must have rose pretty quickly for you. I mean, I'm not, I know you're not going to sit here and float your own boat about it. Right. But let's be honest. I mean, you start a football program from scratch, you're building a culture, that culture can affect the school, especially when it's really positive and it, it gets more buying and gets more people wanting to come into the school, playing the program And Lynn's huge, right? I mean, there's like five or six high schools in Lynn. So, you know, you're also competing against other schools and, and for, for kids. So, um, you know, I just think that's, that's worth saying to you. And I think that that's, you know, that's gotta be the case in that school, but, I know back to the football stuff. I know I don't, I don't want you to get all embarrassed there, but um, you know, and, and I know you, you're a spread guy. I mean, your, your offensive mind is, is pretty smart. So, you know, I guess to me, you know, if we're going to dig into the X's and O's here a little bit is let's talk about your style of offense. Are you a, are you a run team that sets up the pass? Are you a quick pass team that tries to set up your run? Like what is, what's your process as a coach is, is what you think in your philosophies. It's funny. Uh, how quick I pivoted on, on this question. Um, if you asked me when I first started uh, as the head coach at Kip, I would have said pass to set run, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, first down passing and uh, hopefully get five yards and then the playbook's open, right? Um, but I think, you know, one thing I've learned is you have to play to the strengths of your players. Um, and after year two, we realized we had um, one of the, I, I think, and I, this is of course my bias, one of the best running backs in the state. Um, size and speed and dedication, 
Um, yeah, he's he's yeah, he is a man. He is a, he is a very good player. Yeah. And our offensive line in, in front of him, um, are the five most dedicated uh, weightlifters and, and and players in the program that I've coached in, in quite a while. So, to answer your question, right now we are uh, run to set up the pass. Um, you know, we're still working. Uh, our quarterback is a great, great athlete, uh, young player, still working on that uh, those reads and 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 the short and pass game, uh, long pass game. But we have uh, great receivers who can get the ball quick uh, with our screen game. Um, working on p- developing more of a play action game. But uh, uh, th- that's the great thing about spread is you can, you can pivot however, you, you know, week to week, year to year, whatever your prerogative is, um, you know, best suited to your players, I think, and your competition, of course. Um, you know, but right now we're, we're run to set up the pass. I mean, we have a special player and special players. Um, and that's just, that's been our recipe for success the last year and a half. And that's great. So obviously, you know, teams are scouting you. They know that they see that you're a team that can really pound the rock. They start loading the box, eight guys, maybe even playing cover zero and having nine guys in the box, depending on what your, what your, you know, spread, what your spread um, receivers are or whatever. But I guess my question to you is, is do you change when you see teams kind of load up the box against you? What's, what's your thought process into like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make this team widen out a little bit. What do I do? So my first, my first thought really is to show my offensive line that film um, and kind of get them pumped up for like the, the task ahead. You know, uh, they're going to put eight guys in the box. I'm going to see what we can do and really move, you know, uh, but obviously it, it comes to a point where you, you're outnumbered, right? In the box, and you don't have enough guys to block uh, the guys in the box. So, um, you know, we work on multiple formations. We work on motions to really widen out teams. Um, you know, we can, one of the great things about our quarterback is we can go empty three by one, two by two, and get teams to widen a bit and then we can hit them with the quarterback trap things like that some quarterback counters because he's a he's a really good weapon on it with his feet as well um so we utilize like i said motions um different uh different formations to kind of outnumber point of attack and our receivers are tough They'll, they get involved in the blocking game as well um and our receivers coach we tell them if you can't block you can't play um yeah so i mean we, we coach blocking, together that was yeah absolutely that's all we told the receivers you can't block you can play but if you can block there's a spot for you to play that's right and we can take the top off you know and and, and we have um i think our quarterback was uh, a six for 12 or something like that and passes over 20 yards at the last half of the season and we really started to open up the offense so he certainly grew and we were able to take the top off the ball too so um you know when teams see our receivers um and they want to crowd the box now they can say okay you're daring us to throw and we should be able to, and we have been able to mix it up and, and, and throw the ball a little more because of the, the dedication of our receivers and our quarterbacks as well. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, I'm going to flip to my side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball a little bit, you know, and, and I'm going to jump right into it. I mean, what kind of defense are you guys running? Are you, are you a year to year kind of seeing your personnel or do you have a system that you're selling your guys and, and buying in? This is what we are defensively and this is how we're going to play. Now there was some defensive coordinator from Arlington Catholic that uh that got me sold one year on the uh, on the three four so well, yeah it's a pretty I, smart I, guy <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so we're uh, we're a three four team um and like same as with the offense right we've we've had conversations and we've talked about the four two five and we've talked about moving to the four three a bit you and I um and I think you have to go on on what your personnel is and we have a nose guard um, who is completely dominant. Um, and he has been for since his sophomore year. Um, he's getting some great looks at NESCAC schools, just the, just the beginning for wow. him. He's got four, four offers already to NESCAC schools. So not only is he a, an athlete, he's a terrific student um, as well. So, you know, in the, in the, in the three, four, the, those three down linemen are super important. Oh yeah. 
and, and we're lucky to have a, a really big and strong front three. And we have a, a linebacker who's also getting NESCAC looks um, in, the, in the middle who can run like an outside linebacker, but hit like a middle linebacker. Um, wow. So I think just the, the personnel that we have and the speed that we have the, the outside backer and, and D back, I think uh, is a perfect fit right now for the three front with a lot of different, you know, as you know, in the three front, you can be versatile. You can move things around, mm-hmm. uh, make it look like a four if you need to and, 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 and blitz guys off the edge and bring a safety up and whatever. So I think right now you know, we look at that and we say we are perfectly fit for, you know, a two gap slanting, um, you know, super aggressive pursuit to the football three, four. And that's great. You know, and I, and so in the league that you're in, would you, you know, what type of style offenses are you seeing consistently? Cause you know, being a three, four allows you to have, you know, another guy standing up, moving around, rotating around. So are you seeing teams that are, are more spread or have you been seeing teams that are, you know, lining up on the center, whether it's I or whether it's, you know, power I or two by two on the center, you know, what, what type of offenses are you guys seeing in your league? The league's very split. Um, there's a couple spread teams, um, and there's you know, we have a power eye team, and we have a wing, uh, single wing. I think Mystic Valor in that single wing. So uh, you know, of course, when teams are are tight set um, like that, we adjust our defense. Um, we bring more guys into the box. You know, we play a lot of cover zero um, with the athletes that we have. Um, so you know, in cover zero, you can bring your safeties way up into the box. Um, you know, and, and and really crowd that box even with the three front. Mm-hmm. You know, slanting and blitzing. Um, uh, but also allowing our D line, you know, playing that week to week basis, that, you know, they can two gap. Our guys are good enough in our league um, to two gap much of the time and create havoc even against tight power fronts, pulling linemen and our linebackers are athletic enough to fill and get into those holes. So, um, you know, although we adjust into tighter fronts, we can reduce the front, you know, we can eagle down um, and bring bigger guys into the box. Um, we've been able to, for the most part, stick with the, the three down linemen for the most part when, um, we've gotten into those situations with teams running those, you know, tight, heavy fronts. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I think that defensively it's all about gap control and it's all about looking down and saying, making sure that every gap's accounted for um, and that, you know, your middle backers are running to the football, but reading guards. I mean, if you, you, you have wide open shots to read the guards, they are the guards, you know, depending on the type of style you see, but typically on the center, there's a lot of pulling, okay, whether it's, you know, toss or whether it's, you know, running power or whether it's running bootleg out of it. So, you know, guards take you to play. So, you know, philosophy-wise, you know, 3-4 is always great, especially when you're going to see teams that are going to move their guards around a lot. Um, That's where the football IQ is so so huge because, you know, you can have a great linebacker, but if he can't read a guard and gets washed, you know, doesn't matter what front you're in, if your linebackers aren't reading those guards. So, and I think that's a a credit to our linebackers coach, uh, Coach Lynch um, and our defensive coordinators, uh, really working on reading keys, reading keys, reading keys, and just drilling kids on, if you stare at the fullback in those situations, you're gonna get lost. Um, But if you stare at that guard, he'll take you to the ball and you can fill downhill. We've had, you know, highlight film hits and highlight film, you know, colleges have seen our linebackers play. and it's the scraping downhill that looks the best on film because not only are you showing your speed and your athleticism, you're also showing your football IQ by scraping down and following the pulse. So yeah. And so I heard you mention a little bit about your coaching staff earlier. I know one of your assistants early on had gotten the head coaching job at Glossop, but let's talk a little bit about your coaching staff now, because, you know, one, I, I know the demand that you have as far as is being prepared. So um, obviously y- your success is shown in the record that you have. So what's your process in really trying to find football coaches that are good for the kids, not necessarily just good for the product, but good for the kids. 
um, you know, one of the um, years ago, one of the Gillette uh, Stadium conferences, um, Coach Lee from King Philip uh, was one of the, the coaches, uh, one of the presenters there. And he was actually talking about building a coaching staff and a culture. And uh, one of the things that sort of hit me uh, that he, you know, he talked about was uh, coach with guys who you can go out and have a drink with. And I think he meant that literally and figuratively, right? Guys who you want to be around, right? Because as you know, in coaching, you're around these guys for, uh, for a, a lot of hours uh, yeah. year, year round. And um, like I said, I was, I was blessed to have um, many of our coaches in the building um, who right away were completely dedicated um, to the cause, to uh, creating a culture, to creating a successful program, not just wins and losses, but like we're now seeing the fruits of our labor with our kids getting into uh, some great colleges, um, some great NESCAT schools and beyond um, are offering a lot of our juniors already. So, um, you know, we, we demand our coaches are, are just as dedicated as our players, um, and, and if not more. And, um, you know, we're watching film, we're breaking it down together. Um, we're talking about it at dinner um, and, and we're meeting in the off season, uh, whether it's on my back deck or, uh, or somewhere else, we're meeting and just talking football and always running ideas past each other. And, you know, I think it's important for coaches to know as, as a head coach, you can disagree with your assistants. They can disagree with you. And that has to be something that happens, right? You don't, I think Serge said last week, you don't want a bunch of yes men. But when it comes down to being in front of the kids, that's when the, the front's united. And you, you don't step on each other's toes in front of the kids, but you have that discussion after practice. And guys who you're comfortable with having an argument with and potentially football gets emotional and you can yell it out. And then once that argument's over, it's over and we're back to football because we know that although we disagreed and had a argument, it's about the kids and it's about success. Um, and th that's what we've had with our football coaches um, over the last three years has been a great rapport, a great relationship um, all year round. Um, and just the understanding that what we're doing is, is what's in the best interest of our players, both on and off the field. And that's, a, you know, you build a player's culture, but you also have to build a coaching culture. Um, and again, like I said, with our kids, I've been blessed with coaches who have been just as dedicated as I have. And again, it makes my, my job a lot easier when you can surround yourself with people and men and, 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 and uh, teachers who are just as dedicated as you. And, and they certainly have made my job much easier. Well, you know, and I think that's, that's a testament to you because, you know, I think the hardest thing when you become a head coach is you're worried about everything. You know, I mentioned last week about how you're worried about boosters and, and, and especially all the stuff that you're dealing with and parents and dealing with kids in school and dealing with your scheduling and dealing with equipment issues and dealing with everything that you'd have to order. But then on top of that, it's, it, it's the product too. And so I think it's a testament to you that, you know, you have clear expectations. And as a head coach, sometimes head coaches, maybe they're not as clear with their expectations where they have so much on their plate to begin with, but clearly not an issue with you, with your program growing every single year, your, your product on the field getting better and better, but also off the field. I mean, you're mentioning a lot of kids going to a lot of good schools. So obviously football is helping them keep focus. And as a result of that, between their brain and obviously their bronze, it's allowing them now to kind of take that next step into, you know, using their talents into going to school and maybe getting a lot of money off for them or to help them out financially a lot or to get a scholarship or just to get a really good education or wherever they're going, especially schools like that. Um, you know, Jimmy, so you built your program up, I mean, from the ground up and it's just an amazing story that you told. And, you know, it's a lots and lots and lots of hours. And, 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 you know, to me, the most amazing people, 
in a head coach's life is their is their wife, their significant other, because they're the one who's there with you through all that stuff you said. And obviously what you're doing and meeting on your deck with your coaches or meeting a ton in the off season, that's sacrificing time at home. So how do you balance life and 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 and, and you know wife or football and wife in in making sure that you are uh, you know balancing it? Balancing it is a uh, it's an interesting uh, term. It's uh, yeah. it's ex- it's extremely hard, um, especially with our schedule. Um, you know, at, at Kip we go to school until three forty five, um, we don't get on our field until about five thirty. By the time um, we walk to the field, um, kids get their office hours in with teachers, so we don't get to the field until about five thirty. And obviously, when when daylight savings pops around, we have to get lights at our field. So we're on the field until eight o'clock at night, five days a week, um, and. I think it's really important. And I, the running joke with our kids is, uh, you know, if they walk back to the school too slow and don't change fast enough, I always joke with them and say, guys, my wife's going to divorce me. I'm, I get, she wants me home by nine o'clock at night, you know, <laughs> but uh, it, it, it really says something that you find a partner. And my wife, Lillian, has been fantastic since I've started coaching. Cause even as a coordinator, when I met her, um, you know, long hours as well, yeah. um, but you need someone on your side. You need someone that understands, um, you know, what you're doing, uh, why you're doing it. Um, and to support you. And, and, you know, Lil's been to all of our games. Um, you know, she, she's even driven by practice and beat the horn and waved. Um, but you need someone that, that understands that because there's a, a lot of nights where you're not coming home until eight, nine o'clock at night after scouting uh, and you're potentially scouting it in a short oh, yeah. time, 45 minutes away or, you know, a, a, a South Shore team, perhaps, um, you know, that game's at seven, you know, home till 10 o'clock at night. Um, and, and that's six days a week. And then on football Sundays, you're watching football on Sunday. So <laughs> even though you're home, so uh, it's important to find someone who understands who, who, who has that, um, that, that same care that you have. Um, and, and, you know, Lil's been great with that. And, you know, every banquet, that's my first line is, uh, you know, thank my wife for supporting me because um, without that, we're doing it for family. You know, and we talk about family in the football field. And we, we break every day of practice. We put our hands in and say family on three. Um, and if you can't mirror that at home with family, um, you know, then you're, you're kind of not living up to your core values. So, um, you know, family, faith, football, um, you know, common theme. So having someone that understands that and, and is with you in that boat is, is super important. I'm lucky to have that as well. Yeah. I mean, Lillian's great. I mean, beautiful, smart, so funny. Yeah. You, you're very lucky. And, you know, and I think that, you know, it's important that, you know, I brought this up to Serge last week too, you know, that you understand that it, to hear coaches say that, you know, because coaches at the end of the day, head coaches, when they say that, they mean that. And they think that that's important for their players to hear, their assistant coaches to hear that you are, you are mirroring to live your life the way that you're preaching to these kids all the time and being that influence on them. So it, it, it is, it is a task for a head coach, but it's also a great way to live life. Um, amazing, amazing talking to you today. And, and I just think that, you know, I, I want to end before we get to our final two minute drill segment is what advice do you have for young coaches, you know, coming into, you know, whether it's trying to build a program, they're at a school right now that doesn't have any type of program, a basketball program, a football program, a tennis program that they want to, to start it from scratch or someone who's looking to make that climb like you did from assistant to coordinator to head coach. What advice do you have for them? Yeah, I, I think from the, from the coaching front is um, to, to understand you don't know it all um, and, and you're going to make mistakes to own those mistakes. And, you know, I listened to Serge talk, um, you know, when I became offensive coordinator for him, um, it was a slow curve. It was three years of really learning. Um, and if I go back to those films, I know I made a ton of mistakes. 
Um, and we talked about those mistakes, you know. So as a, as a young coach in general, understand that if you're a positional coach, freshman, JV, coordinator, um, understand you, you're, you'll make mistakes. Um, and, and just like you forgive kids for making mistakes, understand you have to take ownership over those mistakes, learn from them. Um, becoming a new head coach um, in the same realm is you, you can't do everything. You might think you know more. Maybe you do know more than you did when you were an assistant because you had more experience. Of course, you don't know everything, but you can't do everything. You have to surround yourself with uh, coaches and, and work for athletic directors and administra administrators that can take things off your plate. Um, because I think if from year one, if I tried to do everything without my athletic director, without other coaches, uh, you know, you can burn out really fast and you can make mistakes because your mind simply can't uh, you know, comprehend all the things you have to do in a football program, uh, as you know. So my advice would be delegate, 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 and trust. Um, if you're going to hire coaches, trust them to do their job, not to micromanage, but also making sure that you have that conversation. If you see a coach that's potentially not working uh, their kids hard enough, or maybe he's running a drill that you don't think might work, or teaching a wrong technique, which happens, have that conversation. Um, but also trust your coaches um, and trust the community around you. Trust the parents, trust the kids to do their jobs. Um, and, and I think if you can delegate and trust those around you, I think uh, you're, you're in a good spot. And uh, that's what I've learned, you know, in those, these last three years is um, you, you can't possibly do it all um, and you can't possibly know it all and always keep learning. I haven't missed a Gillette conference in, uh, in quite a while. Um, yeah. Always learning. So there's always someone that knows something that you don't know, um, something you forgot um, and, 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 and just honing your skill always. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, that I owe you a lot for in, in my coaching career is that I felt like we really pushed each other in, in that department. We went to a lot of clinics together. We did a lot of webinars together. We did a lot of scouting together. We watched a lot of film together. So, you know, I, I, I totally a, a million percent agree with what you're saying. You always want to grow. You always, there's always room to learn and there's always room to get better. So, you know, I, Unbelievable stuff, man. Just just listening to you. I mean, we know each other on a personal level, but listening to you and just listening to you talk about this is just, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's what you've done in three years is a testament to who you are as a man, but also how lucky these kids are and how lucky the school is to really, to have you and to have them watching it and, you know, having you watch over the, the youth in, in the school. And it's, it's amazing stuff. I'm really proud of you. Um, and, I, and I mean that, I really am. I, I appreciate that. And the one thing I'll say that the most proud moment that I've had uh, in coaching isn't the nine and three season. Um, it's watching in the hallways when football players who are now the visible players in the school are leaders, not only on the field, but in the classroom. Um, we've had zero ineligibilities in the year and a half. Um, oh, wow. Year to year. And we've had minimal, minimal uh, discipline problems in school. In fact, our, our players are the ones who are handling, um, you know, those issues internally with their team. Um, so that's the one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm more proud of that kind of flies under the radar. It's just the men that they become in the building, the, the leaders in the school and the community that they become, um, you know, that, that usurps certainly wins and losses, even, even in a successful year like we had last year. 
Okay, excellent. So we're, we're going to get into our last segment here, our two-minute drill. So you know, I have two minutes. I'm going to try to pump up as many questions as I possibly can for you. And I do get one challenge. I do get a challenge in the field if I feel like I need you to explain more. I do have a question in mind that I think may get the challenge, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, so I'm going to stop the clock. Let me get the clock going. And here we go. All right. Number you would prefer to wear. Number one. Name the biggest victory you've had in your career. I think it's uh, winning the Division Eight North Championship uh, last year. Excellent. In our first, in our first victory, one and one A. What was the first play you called as a head coach? Inside zone. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Now this one might get the this one might get the challenge here. I know you have a coach on staff by the name of Bernard Lynch, and I know that you have a very good running back. So my question is, which running back would you prefer? <laughs> oh man, uh, I I gotta I gotta go with my guy Daniel. Uh, d you know, Bernard was a oh, flag. Go ahead, go ahead. I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Bernard Bernard was a terrific running back, as you know, and he ran for a. a countless yards um but uh but to, to see daniel grow and progress for he's a daniel was a lineman his freshman year um and he came to us and, and talked to us and said coach i want to be a running back and in my head i'm like you can't be a running back you're a you're a backup lineman as a freshman you can't do my head and uh he's like i'm coaching to work at it and work at it and he didn't and he was 1800 yards or whatever it was last year and i'm just so proud of him that uh, i have to kind of stick with that and he's got that power and speed bernard may have him in quickness um, but uh, power and speed, I think I give the, the nod to, to Daniel. I always got to ask that one question. Oh, yeah. I like <laughs> All right, clock is starting back up. And here we go. Fourth and goal from the three-yard line. What are you running? Hmm. I'm going to run a power, power inside zone um, behind my big offensive line, my big fullback and Daniel. Okay. In football, outside of Tom Brady, who do you think right now is the best quarterback in football? I think we saw it last night. I think Russell Wilson. Um, okay. You know, I, I know it's an unpopular decision with Mahomes and, and Jackson, but Russell Wilson is just magic. If there was one thing you could do over in your head coaching career, what would it be? I think I would have stuck to my guns a little more stringently in year one. Okay, and, la and last question for you. Which player in your career do you think you scream their name out the most? Uh, Alec Mattis, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you, you survived the two-minute drill here. Uh, Jimmy, from the bottom of my heart, man, I, I am very proud of you. I think what you've done is very special, and I think that it's great that your story is getting out there and people really understand the, the hard work and dedication that you've put in to building a football program and to really pursuing something that is a passion of yours. And I think it's a great lesson for your players to hear this. And I think it's a great lesson for a lot of people to hear, especially a lot of coaches that are out there now. So thanks for joining us. Um, I appreciate it. And um, we'll talk at some point. I'm sure real soon we'll have you back on here. I appreciate the opportunity, the platform um, that you've given me in, uh, in our program is uh it's something that can't be measured. So uh, I appreciate everything you've done for me in my football career and also in my personal life. You know, you've been a, a great influence uh, on me as a man as well. So um, and I hope you understand that, that uh, you mean a lot to me and I really appreciate the time.
All right, buddy. Well, listen, we, we would love to have you back on at some point. You know, I know football is, is starting up in February. We didn't really talk about it, but, you know, I want to focus more on your program and what you've done because it's been amazing. So uh, from Beyond X's and O's, uh, this is uh, Anthony Petrella signing out. Till next time.